Robert uh, Fairher is from Lightbearers Ministry, and um, I met Robert uh, a couple of years ago at one of Lynn Hoag's um, seminars, and uh, Robert has a great enthusiasm for agriculture. He's the print uh, publishing supervisor at, at Lightbearers, and uh, he's also part of the board of the association, and um, what he's been sharing with me, what they've been doing there at uh, Lightbearers is quite exciting. So, Robert, would you please come up and we'll have a word of prayer to start this session. Loving Father in heaven, thank you again that we can meet and, and hear more of your work going on in different places. Pray that you'll bless as we listen, that you'll speak through Robert and, um, and Robert again in the next presentation. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Darren. Thank you. I want to thank Jesus for this opportunity. Um, to share what he's doing because it's all thanks to him. And I would like to substantiate it with a few s statements. Um, I cannot, in ways I cannot believe I'm here talking about agriculture because I grew up on orchard farm in Europe and it was such experience for me that I hated it. I told my parents I would never do this again, and if God would bring me back to my home country, to America, uh, because I was born here, then uh, I would make sure I will never do this again. And um, he, I had these vivid dreams, images, often during church service with with shame, but as a child growing up, I was just fantasizing what it would be like coming back to America, to my home country, because it was communist country at the time, um, not accepting us, even relatives not fully embracing us because we were considered like foreigners and uh, uh, for living here in the U.S. for many years. And I was restricted uh, because of my American citizenship, so I could not go to different communist countries as my um, family members, and so I started hating on one hand of being a citizen, but on the other hand, my brother would remind me, because I wanted to give up my citizenship, and he's like, you have no idea how much I would pay to be in your shoe. And now looking back, it reminded me through agriculture, through lives, of how often we have such privileges all around us and we see them as curses. And agriculture is, to me, the reason I'm here talking about it is because God allowed it in my life to go in the direction I wanted to. And I started burning, crashing, to the point where I wanted to end my life. And if it would not be for the grace the unconditional, unchanging love of Jesus, and for finding him in the garden when I thought I went too far, I would not be here. It was his redemptive nature as he communicated to me through his creation that I can be here. Um, without agriculture, I don't see how, po how is it possible for me not to be at least certain to a certain degree be a reflector of other people's thinking 
even if I'm in a craftsman or something, you start more working with the products of man, tools or something. But in nature, you get to be a reflector of your creator's thinking. And so with that background, uh, at Liberius about two years ago, um, uh, dynamics changed and in a meeting with the co-founders Ty and James, uh, we had, <laughs> we came into the meeting without any plan, awareness, thought of agricultural going to being um, the subject of our meeting. It was completely a different uh, subject. It was a big subject, but it was during that meeting that we all recognized that it was time for agriculture to um, be restored in its rightful position as, as institution, as ministry. It was a surprise to all three of us because the way things converged. Um, and so I was asked if I would be willing to um, um, lead out um, with the farm, a new agricultural program at the libraries. And so I got a weekend praying over it. By that time, I had three uh, or two different uh, calls possible going different direction. And just by this time, I so learned um, not to trust. I, I haven't fully learned it till Jesus comes. But uh, I've so crashed so many times that I, I just needed Jesus' confirmation. And so my wife and I were really praying whether to, because I feel unfit for this. Um, growing up, I, while I got a lot of advantages, um, it was in a climate where you hate something. When you hate something, you don't learn as much as if you do it with, with passion, with love. And plus, it was more of a conventional growing. Um, and it was not, I wasn't seeing Jesus around me. So um, it was a new start for me as well. Uh, it is a new start. And so anyway, we started, uh, when uh, we made a decision after that weekend and gave them the decision, um, the next question was where we would do it. And to make it short, um, basically the only option where we could follow our convictions in the area of um, agriculture was keep pointing back to same uh, area. And that was in the back of our publishing um, building, which is here, you see those rocks? That's three and a half feet minimum rocks that was brought in. It used to be a wetland. And so it's a three and a half feet plus um, everywhere rocks, solid rocks. It's not soil with lots of rocks. It's solid rocks. It was a fill, rock fill brought into. And that was done before um, we relocated to that loca uh, place. And so when they presented the idea of having it there, 
I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I just, it was very tough, but at the same time, there was no other option that we could see. We prayed, prayed, but it kept pointing to here, and there was one thing that helped me to surrender to the idea of doing it, the back of the publishing, besides some other ones, but the major one was it had all the signature of Jesus. It was impossible <laughs> looking, and I start to like those situations because that's where I get to see the most marked way his answers because I, I do not have what it takes to even face the day. And when I get to uh, be more often in those impossible situations, that's where I see his leading the most marked way. And so here we decided, okay, we're going to do it here. And so now how are we going to go about it? And so I looked at um, the location, and so this is what we uh, came up prayerfully of what's the most efficient way of use, using the plot. So it's about just under half an acre. And these blocks you're seeing are four feet by 25 feet beds. There are 48 of ones, plus on the side, those circle things, that's um, grapes and uh, uh, dwarf fruit trees will be. And then the structure is yet to um, be built we're going to have a greenhouse. We already have the groundwork for it, but in the compost and, and the other structures will be there, shed and so forth. But um, when we decided to do, okay, that's how we're going to use the plot. So how are we going to, are we going to have raised beds? What, what are the options? And so basically came down to two options, raised beds or dig into the rocks. Either way, when you deal with so many beds, especially in our area, just the lumber, just for raised bed, or whatever way. I tried to look at pricing each, I believe, <laughs> in efficiency, and they were all astronomical. So again, it was clear this was a faith step, faith step. So I was like, okay, if it's a faith step, then I'm looking at now from a perspective of what's the most ideal environment for growing that would bring the most glory to God, where we could follow more of his principles and so decided to dig into the rocks so the next is okay we have to haul those rocks away fill it with soil it's just astronomical and within two weeks of deciding that we had donor come forth and said whatever you need we are here to help and so they brought in their big equipment and so they, this was the, the trench, the um, fruit trees and a grape um, trench, what I call it. And so that was the first spot they started digging. And things were going okay for a few days. And then we had, um, the very day we started digging, I was still very heavy. You know, this is something I haven't done before of with this pr kind of project and it's such a faith step so I really asked the Lord please give me confirmation confirmation that I'm not missing the point here <laughs> and the very day we are digging those trenches during lunch I go to check my email and I get this email from my wife 
and the email is showing these pictures of grapes, grape vines, 23-year-old um, uh, certified organic vines for sale for $15 each. And I recognized these grapes, and I cannot believe it. So I called the person up. I was like, David, I'm really confused. I thought you were selling your property. He's like, I sold it. I was like, I'm really confused now. How come you're selling <laughs> grapes off of your uh, place that you sold? And he says, well, the new owner likes lawn. He comes home tired from work, just watches TV. He hates um, gardening. I have 300-plus pounds of garlic, elephant garlic. He doesn't want any of the garden. And so I didn't have a heart, I mean, just peace to leave it to him what he's going to do with the grapes. And so he's selling it. And so here it is. The very same day, we're digging that, the Lord provided what to put in there. It's such a killer <laughs> price that people, I wish you would have told me. Within our uh, three of my friends from the church, um, we got pretty much all his grapes, over 100 grapes. But that's all I had spot, and so that's what I filled it with. Or that's what I planted there. But then after that is where I hit... Um, Wall of China. <laughs> Here, all these confirmations, confirmation, and it just, these obstacles come from an unexpected angle. And it really tested me. Okay, how solid were those confirmations? Did I, because self can so misinterpret <laughs> things. And so I just, to make it short, I was so to the, my wit's end. I almost threw in the towel on this. I pleaded, Lord. And through that whole process of challenge, of stalling over, no, about a year delay, because that's all it went for a year. I mean, that's from there to the, to the next picture, that was a year delay. And Darren knows a little bit about it. I was just like, Darren, what's going on? And he was encouraging with his previous challenges that, okay, I was like, and so these are the verses that came to be very precious to me. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. In Hebrew, praise is waiting for you. In Hebrew, it says, to you, O God, silence is praise. It hit me so hard. It remind Jesus was telling me, I'm trying to get you to the point where instead of complaining, murmuring, or this, this is not your work. This is my work. Your silence right now is praise to me. Be still and know that I am God, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I found that the blue highlighted sections, two verses from two different verses in uh, Spirit Prophecy, I see the, saw those in one sentence. And it was just, again, <laughs> the lesson of being still, trusting in God. This is his work. If, if I trust him, anxiety is inappropriate. I really just have to trust him. The next was being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Through that horrible, challenging time, God reminded me the proper place of agriculture, and that was in the garden. The whole thing centers of what took place in Gethsemane. Why was Jesus' blood dropping on the ground? It's because we messed up in the first place in the garden. And I lose, it becomes self, no matter what we, agriculture, we can just repeat history. We can so devoid Jesus out of the picture and just go about it legalistic way. And here I had to get that focus that this is Jesus' work, this is all about him, and this is not me. I am the greatest, potentially the greatest liability to his work. I'm the one, and that's why the morning prayers, that's why I have the passion, is because God showed me who I am, why he was agonizing, and I still ask daily to reveal it more each day, why he was agonizing in that garden. Because in that cup, I want to see what was in that cup. Then, only then, I will seek him in proportion to the value of his gifts. And so, just as surely as the obstacles came, the miracles came. And the obstacles just gone. So this spring, we started digging. And finished in 10 days, all the beds, all the soils were donated. So all of it was donation. Completely put in. And so... Um, because of the project, I mean, it, w- it just stalled so long that I had starts. I had this struggle of between faith and <laughs> presumption. What, what is faith and what is presumption? Um, I so wanted to start planting this year, so I had these starts, just uh, different crops, and they were waiting and waiting and waiting because I had to do uh, finalizing the beds, um, putting in irrigation. And by the time I'm ready to plant, it's last week of June, first week of July, the plants, 70% of the plants I had to throw away. And the ones, the best that I had were so still bad looking that I thought it's a shame to his cause. So I told Ty, I put a lock on the <laughs> gate and I told um, our, our co-founders, the leaders, that please don't tell. We have every year convocation where our uh, supporters can come and tour and so forth. And I told them, don't let them in. <laughs> I don't want to bring a, a shame to his cause. And um, while well, they were so excited still, they ignored what I said. But um, within about two weeks, the plan started turning around. And... I stand here that if anything you see from here on is Jesus. Um, it's nothing what we, I mean, we try to follow whatever principles we can find, um, but it's, it's his wonder-working power, and I just praise him for the results. Um, so this is kind of what it will look like. Um, we have wood chips in between the beds. Uh, to make it pretty, it hold back the weeds because the hardest thing to do is weeding be, uh, in rock area. <laughs> uh, you basically have to use the picks, uh, a pick to weed. And so anyway, this is an aerial view um, of what it looks like. 
or look like. Now it's, I don't have the latest pictures on them, but here are some different views. So here's our kind of a picture of our crop. This is the healthiest potatoes I ever grown. Even though the tomatoes were just only about this high, because we planted a month late, they were low, oh, well, they're kind of out of order. This is our onion. As you can see, the count is 2.28 pounds, one onion. The, this is how loaded. Even though they were short, they were just loaded. They were just loaded. In fact, uh, my friend is not here. They have their own farm, and they grew tomatoes too. And when he heard, you know, about the grapes, he has the same grapes. He planted the same time, and they got about five pounds of grapes. We got over 100 pounds off of our grapes. Granted, we have eight instead of five, but the pr proportion is so much difference. So he sent his wife. <laughs> I think he didn't believe <laughs> the report, and uh, plus the taste. Just and so he, uh, she came over and she looked at what's going on. And so, again, we're giving God the glory because when we more and more we come into harmony with His principle, we are the limiting factor. The more we come into harmony with His principles, we are giving more legal right for Him to do His work. And so here it was ironic to find that they're grower, growing their own vegetables and so forth, and they came to buy 108 pounds of tomatoes, even though they grow their own. And it's just, again, glory to God. So that's a pound, 1.72 pounds, just one tomato. And the grapes. I mean, if you talk to people, anybody t tasted it, my sister... I mean, my sister and my brother-in-law actually do uh, agriculture, farming, across the street from us. And she says, brother, I don't, the only time I remember tasting so delicious grapes is uh, in childhood. And we grew up on a farm. What are my other favorite quotes that came precious, actually, even leading up to this whole project? The God of nature is perpetually at work. His infinite power works unseen, but manifestations appear in the effects which work produces. The same God who guides the planets works in fruit orchard and in the vegetable garden. And this is what I'm going to read. I'm realizing not many people know it from here. Maybe from here, but not here. I wish we could have time to unpack the next sentences. He never made a thorn, a thistle, or a tear. It is so profound to me. Tear is weeds. In fact, if you want to understand more of what that means, um, there was just a meeting just before this, uh, my mentors, and they were talking about just this. I... What draw, drew me back to agriculture is when I started seeing that the curse was the effect of our turning our back to God. And here I am reminded that that which I credited to God, I grew up. It, I mean, why is it so difficult to get people um, to work in the garden? I think one of them is 
we've been programmed to detest it. I want you to go to school so you, you don't have to do what I'm doing. Negative association. Two, why would you want to do something or be in an environment that God cursed it? That's how we view it. It's like God did this. You sinned against me, and so here's a punishment. I wish we could talk about but to me, came to the point realizing, no, no, no. It was Satan. We attribute Satan's work to God. We're completely missing the point. He never made a thorn, a thistle, or tear. These are Satan's work, the result of degeneration introduced by him among what? Another curses? Precious things. But it is through God's immediate agency that every bud bursts into blossom. In briar and thorn and thistle and tear is represented the evil. So the curse is not to represent God. <laughs> it's to represent evil that blights and mars in singing bird and opening blossom. Now in contrast, to the curse, in singing bird and opening blossom, in rain and sunshine and summer breeze and gentle dew, in 10,000 objects in nature, from the oak of the forest to the violet that blossoms at its roots, is seen the love that restores. The nature still speaks to us of God's goodness. There is an invisible power constantly at work as man's servant to feed and to clothe him. Many agencies our Lord employs to make the seed apparently thrown away a living plant. And here's the next sentence that I so hold on to. He supplies in due proportion all that is required to perfect the harvest. I believe we yet to fully realize what that sentence means. And the last one. There is life in the seed, there is power in the soil, but unless an infinite power is exercised day and night, the seed will yield no returns. The showers of rain must be sent to give moisture to the thirsty field. The sun must impart heat. Electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. Did you catch that? Electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. I ask people, what do you think that means? And I get pretty consistently... God's power. No. There's life. Oh, yours is a touch screen. I keep forgetting. <laughs> There's life in the seed, one of his agencies. There's power in the soil. But, but is what? Contrast. Something different. But unless an infinite power is exercised day and night, the seed yields no returns. So there's the definition being laid. So then by the time the next sentence comes, showers of rain must be sent to moisture to the, to the thirsty fields. The sun must impart heat. And what's that power in the soil? Electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. In short, you look at it, the alternative energy, governments are using this understanding. The new uh, alternative energy is based on this. If you do microbial fuel cell, you will see. It's not a big known. Governments are already using it for uh, surveillance and different uh, remote sensors around the world to be powered where um, solar, solar or other form of energy is not available or not uh, stable. 
So what happens when the world arrives to some discovery of his principles and not his people? Who gets the glory? The professors, companies, patent, and so forth. So we, have, we are facing two systems, and the question I leave you with, which systems are we under? And is it the blessings or the curses that the world sees in our own lives? Thank you. Thank you very much. God is glorified in what you're doing there, and that's amazing. The interesting thing about the electricity, if any of you have heard of Lynn Hoag's you know, seminar on planting trees, the Ellen White method, um, years ago when I was at uh, Weimar and a guy by the name of, um, Rob, you can help me out, Dean Jones, that's right, he was doing experiments with that. He put probes in the bottom and in the top, discovered that that method of planting trees created three times the electricity that is naturally in the soil. So if you, if you want to learn more about that, I know Lynn is selling videos and he's actually doing a hands-on demonstration on planting that way. So, right. Uh, Robert Montague is the next um, presenter. And um, I think the reason I'm here today is because of Robert's influence in my life. When I graduated from Weimar College, uh, was seeking direction from the Lord, and um, Robert asked me to consider being the work education director, and I didn't think that that was God's work <laughs> for some reason. And so he said, well, I'll just, uh, I want to hire you for two weeks, and during that two weeks, your assignment is to study the spirit of prophecy, Adventist history, and, and uh, so on, and, and come up with some recommendations of how we could improve our work program. So I spent those two weeks uh, studying, and after it, it changed my life because I could see that agriculture and mechanical and, and, and different types of trades, um, that this was part of God's plan for educating our young people. And there's one statement, and I'm going to share it in the devotional on Sabbath morning, but uh, why it says the number of souls that will be saved in the kingdom as a result, direct result of that work, no one will know until the day of judgment. And so, you know, when we're doing this work and we're teaching young people, we're helping work with God to save their souls. So, Robert, please come up and share what uh, God is doing through your ministry. Thank you. I, I wanted to talk with you about um, growing new roots, uh, an experimental work in Manipur, India. So, uh, and, 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 and let me just start, though, because I do want to acknowledge um, these two folks here and, and I'm, I'm sure many others. Um, so valuable what you do, absolutely so valuable. And you, so three now, um, so valuable. Because as I hear these things, I keep thinking, wow, if only every place had folks like you, if only every place did. Because the heart is willing, but the flesh is weak in so many places. People acknowledge, oh, this is really, really good, but I don't know how to do it. So I um, wanted to talk with you about um, something that we're doing there. So let's see if we can... Do this? Okay, what we'll cover. Um, why we chose India. Uh, why we care about the garden. Who we are. Um, students in agriculture. Bumps in the farming education road. And what to do about the bumps in the road. And blessings in the road. So that's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes. And um, finally, a call to action as well. So why Manipur? Well, um, our third daughter, we have four daughters, and our third daughter always wanted to go to India. And uh, so she 
planned from an early age to go to India. And we thought, well, she'll change her mind as she gets older. But she didn't. She kept uh, being interested in going to India. And so finally one day she just... Uh, she, she and her sister decided to go to India, so they went to a fast food restaurant and worked so they could save up money, and they got their tickets, and they went over, and they worked in an orphanage in India. And they came back, and they said, we want to go back to India. And uh, she said, well, do you want to go back and work for, they had been regular general conference missionaries in the orphanage, do you want to go back and do that, or do you want to start something uh, on your own? And uh, I said, well, we might as well start something on our own. So they did. And... Um, our, our interest in the educational uh, perspective includes these things. Freedom. <laughs> when Darren and I were together at Weimar, which was a very wonderful experience for us, our family, um, but when we were there, one of the things that, that, uh, that was challenging to me was um, educationally, you know, there are laws and rules and regulations, and they include things like this. Now, most people don't even think about these things or care very much, but nevertheless, they're there. Seat time. Uh, well, if a child's going to be in school by law, they should have this much time in, in uh, mathematics and this much time in English and social studies and this and that and the other thing, and they ought to be planted in a chair. Um, indentured servitude, the idea that, well, you know, you can't tell children they have to go work on the farm or, you know, academy kid. You can't tell them that. That's indentured servitude. You're making them slaves. You've got to pay them. But, whoops can't pay them because they got to be at least 14 years old. So you can't have them there. And then what about homeschool rules? Um, well, if they're homeschooled, they need to do this and that and the other thing and test and so forth and so on. We said, you know what? If they were in India, in rural India, the people there are so happy if somebody can teach their children English and things like that because they see that as the way to prosperity, the world will open up and we won't have to uh, be as concerned about following all these careful rules. So why not start there? Because then what we can do is we can take a blank piece of paper, as blank as this whiteboard here, and we can say, what did the Lord say? Oh, yeah, and write it down. And another nice thing is, instead of having constituents that have all kinds of ideas of all kinds, you can say, oh, you know what? Let's it's, it said that. Let's just go ahead and do whatever the teacher's working with the students. Let's simply mandate it. That's a nice idea. We're just going to do it because we read it, and there it is, so we're going to do it. So that's what we did. All right. So why we care? Um, there, I have a research assistant working with me there at Southern, and um, we're uh, finishing up a compilation of Ellen White writings on, what we, on how education should work. It's about uh, 350 pages or so. But I've got about a dozen pages or more of just bang, 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 bang quotations that say, um, the, talk about the importance of manual labor. And as you all know, there is no question here in the mind of God about whether this is important or not. But I just put a few down here. There should have been connected with the schools establishments for carrying on various branches of labor that the students might have employment and the necessary exercise out of school hours. Well, that makes some sense. Um, much can now be gained by connecting labor with schools. That sounds like it agrees with the first one. And now notice this one. You're all familiar with it. Well, let's think about it nevertheless. Here it is. It reveals cowardice. What? It reveals, tell me the word. 
cowardice. It reveals, oh, I would trust God, but I mean, I might lose something. I might be disadvantaged, so I'm not doing that. It reveals cowardice to move so slowly and uncertainly. Well, if it can pay for itself, Darren, if, you know, Matt, if you, you know, if you can do this in an eight-hour day, um, it reveals cowardice to move so slowly and uncertainly in the labor line. That line which will give the very best kind of education. Look at nature. There's room within her, vast boundaries for schools to be established where grounds can be cleared and land cultivated. This work is essential to the education. It is not only favorable, it is required. It is essential to the education most favorable to spiritual advancement. For nature's voice is the voice of Christ, teaching us innumerable lessons of love and power and submission and perseverance. Love, power, submission, perseverance, all coming right there in the potato patch. All right, so pattern life is an attempt to apply the educational directives of the Lord through Ellen White to children, their teachers, and the environment around them. So he said, well, let, let's just do this. Let's try to take these directives and quite literally accept when circumstances make it clear that they are not meant to be taken in a literal sort of sense. And that would be in, include things like um, you know, the fact that uh, women shouldn't necessarily uh, consider it one of the first duties to learn how to harness a horse at this point. So, uh, but outside of those things, let's take them quite literally and presume that the Lord knows more than we do. And let's just see what we can do with it. Um, so there's two schools and orphanages in Manipur and one uh, small school in um, America. It's actually in our home. And uh, every one of those places has... Um, the garden and the and the in the um, <clears throat> work outside and so forth. All right, and then uh, we do we do translation. Um, you can see some of the books in Hindi, Ellen White books in Hindi, and other things over there on the table. But um, Rang May, um, Marathi, Hindi. We want to take Ellen White's material and distribute that um, to people who don't, because if you think about it, Hindi about 310 million people around the world. Have Hindi as their first language, they have no opportunity for the life that you and I do have unless they speak English. So we try to do something about that. All right. And then we do evangelism in the hills around Manipur. Uh, so we have an evangelist whom we support to do that. Um, Darren, by the way, was on our board for many years. Um, and so students grow this. Now we're going to talk about India here. Students grow most of their own food. So you can see them here working along the hillside there. Now, um, we have the um, wonderful uh, luxury, I guess you could call it, of having, um, of, of, of having it not be optional that the teachers work with the students. So the teachers work with the students. They're out there um, with the students. No teacher is exempt from that. Every teacher is work out there working with the students, and uh, it is a blessing. All right, so students um, terraced and planted this rice. Now, you can't see it very well. Can we just flip the lights off for a moment? Would that be all right? Just flip them all off so we can see these, see this a little better. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, good. Thank you. That's uh, still a little difficult, but you can get the idea here that um, if you can see, these are terraces, so one, two, three, four, five, and then you kind of go into kind of infinity there. But um, 
the, the students themselves and, of course, the teachers, but primarily the students because they become very adept, very quick with their hands. And um, they've gone out with the simplest of tools. It's, a, you know, an Indian adds. It's a, a handle, wooden handle. It has a little metal thing at the end. Hack, 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 hack. And this hill, it looks relatively flat. It is not. It's, uh, oh, maybe not that much, but there's a significant there's a significant pitch on this hill. So they've gone up there. There's a water source up on the top there and uh, a stream that they can tap. And so they've hacked this thing out and they've, they've uh, planted this rice and they just finished harvesting here mm, two weeks ago or so. And I suppose they'll end up with about uh, 600 pounds or so of, of uh, milled rice when they're done. Then they grow, um, they grow all kinds of other stuff too, as you would imagine. Um, so maize and lady's finger and um, various kinds of onions and different things. Um, so, they gr so they grow almost all of their own food. And um, harvest is a happy time. So this is a young lady, and she's got, um, she happens to have corn in the handmade basket thing there that she's carrying on her head. Um, and, uh, and the students have learned to be good workers. Now imagine what a blessing that is in the world if a child learns to be a good worker. And I can tell you from, from being up there myself and trying to keep up with them as we weed the rice, um, I could keep up with them if, if I didn't have to take care of the rice plants. That is, if all I needed to do was, was you know, yank out things um, there on the rice fields, then in that case, I can keep up with the children. But, but I can't keep up with the children because they, they work as fast with their hands, and they, and they do it, I don't know how, with two hands at the same time. But they can go like this and pull those weeds out of there and somehow leave the rice plants um, intact there because, because they've, they've learned to do that. They've, you know, they've, they've learned to become good workers. And you know what they do um, when they come back from the rice fields? Well, they do a variety of things. But one of the things that they will do, um, if you're a visitor like we are and you're not from the area, when you come back from the rice fields, they don't go watch TV. You know? What they do is they come and they say, oh, and they grab your laundry or, and they, or, they, or they start giving you a back massage or they, or they clean your shoes or something. They just... It's in them, you know. They've learned the value of physical labor. They've learned that in all labor there is profit. They've figured that out. Now, these are kids who come from um, primarily the jungle. And they, they're not educated. They might have eaten monkeys and, and dogs and whatever they can find, um, maybe even um, some sorts of lizards and things like that, birds that they kill with their... So they come with this background, and they've learned to be responsible citizens, Ooh, far better than American kids. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Far better. Yeah, you know that from your work in Colombia. Far better. But we have the very best counselor in all the world. We have such beautiful words, such sweet wisdom, don't we? In the counsel of the Lord, working the soil is one of the best kinds of employment, calling the muscles into action and resting the mind. You've experienced that. Your mind gets rested, doesn't it? Working in the soil, your mind gets rested. How does it do that? I don't know. God put randomness in there, and somehow it just works. you got a vexing problem. You're out there trying to figure out, you know, this and clean the garden, and somehow the mind just relaxes. Calling the muscles into action and resting the mind. 
This, by the way, do you ever think about that? This is the opposite of a video game where you, um, you, know, you call the mind into action because you've got to get all those aliens and you don't have any physical activity. This is the opposite of that. This is the very first work that should be entered upon. The very first work. Not the work that you do if you can afford it. Not the work that you do after studies. Um, as you said, um, instead of saying, oh, we do, we do education because we're big and important. And then, ah, we do a little bit in the garden. No, no. We do practical and we work our way backward and say, if it isn't practical, we don't need to know it. So bumps in the road. I wanted to just take a couple of minutes here, actually probably about 10, no, maybe, maybe six or seven here. And I wanted to talk about bumps in the road that I've encountered in various ways along the way, because maybe you'll run, run into these. And I want you to think about starting your own. The, all the stuff that, that happens in India here, the, the two schools, the translation work, the evangelism, you know what we spend? We spend about $1,000 a month American, $1,000 a month American. You can raise that. You can start your own stuff just like we did in India. You can say, Lord, send me and wherever. Um, you know, I work full time. I have a job. You can do it too. You have a job? Fine. Start something somewhere. That's what I'm going to try to sell to you. Okay, agriculture costs money. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, expensive. There's one you'll hear, maybe here. Students may not want to pull potato bugs off of long rows of plants in a Tennessee summer, and they don't. They do not get excited. Um, about saying, well, there's a long row of potato plants and I get to look on the underside of the leaf and try to find these things and drop them into buckets of, of a soapy water. They don't get excited about that. That's true. Uh, parents worry that their children will be ignorant. You know, I love what you guys think. I, you know, philosophy I really appeals to me. But is, is my child going to do well on the tests? You know, aren't they going to? ACT isn't going to. Wow. Um, what do you do with the produce once it's harvested? Well, now I got all this stuff. I grew all this stuff. Well, I'll just run down to the farmer's market. Well, running down to the farmer's market, unless yours works differently from mine, is not a highly profitable thing sometimes. All right, there isn't time for gardening in the school program. Hmm. So here's some things you'll hear. Let, let's think about what you can do with those things. What to do about the bumps? Agriculture costs money. Yeah. You know what? Here's what we do. Give 10% tithe and 10% offering. How does that have anything to do with that? Here's, here's my suggestion to you. Um, when I've been associated with self-supporting things um, in the past, it seems like it's always a struggle. Money's always a struggle, always a struggle. And it's a, it's a valid struggle. It's a big struggle. Yeah. But you know what? When we started Pattern Life, we said, you know what? We're going to put God first no matter what. doesn't matter. So 10% um, of all the donations we get and go to tithe, Seventh-day Adventist Church, 10% go to offerings. Straight off the top. Boom. No matter what the expenses are. Do you know what? In 10-something years uh, that we've been doing this, one month we ran $175 short. Carrie and I put in $175. Ten years. I never worry. I never worry. God sends the manna. He doesn't send us big chunks of cash. Well, sometimes he sends us things to help with projects. But mostly it's just little dew that comes. So my first suggestion, it costs money. Yeah, ask the Lord. Um, you got right after you had these things. You had those people donate the stuff, and it helped you. That's what the typical thing is. Recognize that your other classes don't contribute to the organization's funding either, and this is more valuable than cube roots. You don't ask your, your, your math teacher, hey, listen, you didn't, you didn't come up with the money for your class. Of course not. You didn't say to your English teacher, hey, English teacher, unless you can find somebody that's going to pay for these chairs, we're not doing it. Well, don't do it to your agriculture. Don't do it to your farm manager either. Say, we're going to support you because this is the most important work that is done, period. Um, some students don't like to work. How about this idea? 
Yeah, point them to the Savior. That's the answer, you know. I don't like to work either. Who likes to work when you don't have to? I mean, you know, it's more fun to sit inside and theorize. But point them to the Savior. Um, and then work with the students. If you say to them, uh, you know, that would be great for you to learn that. I don't want to. That sends a pretty powerful message. If you say it would be great for you to do that, let's go. I got the tools. Ah, that works. And then point them to the harvest. Help them realize, oh, you know what? <laughs> There's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when you sink your teeth into a corn cob and it's going to feel and taste really good. Um, what, uh, what about this? Parents want their children to do well on national tests. Let's see. Um, let's see. Okay, good. Um, remind the parents that your school is only for those who desire character training, okay? So if this is the thing, and I, you know, when we have uh, parents that want to come and have their kids and carry schools, this is one of the very first things I want to cover with them is, oh, you know what? Oh, 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 oh. Will your child go to Harvard? I don't know. Could be. We've had, we had, uh, we've had a student who every single year was in the top 1% on the ITBS test. Could be. But I'm not guaranteeing it because it's not the most important thing to me. What, I'm, what you can hold me responsible for is their character will, 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 will be better. That, you can hold me responsible for that. And it's actually fourth on our list of importance. So we're going to do all three of these things before we ever get to academics. Now, I can tell you from our experience that academics doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to worry about it. They'll be okay. But if, if that's not what you want, if your first thing isn't character training, oh, you know what, They're, we're in college, Dale. There's, there's so many nice schools. Pick one of the other ones because we're not going to put your thing first. We're not. Uh, administer the ITBS students, uh, test to students or something else. Every year, you know, do that test so that they see, oh, I don't have to worry, you know, because my child is at grade level or above grade level is advancing and things like that. It makes them feel better, but don't make the mistake of thinking that's what you're there to do. You're not there to do that. Um, what to do with the produce once it's harvested. Give the produce to your students and their friends. Uh, donate to your local church. If you produce enough, uh, like if you have an actual farm, uh, then of course you'll want to you'll sell it so that you can uh, recoup some of the costs for what you do. And then um, there isn't time in the school program for gardening. Uh, you know what? There isn't time in the typical school program for gardening. There isn't time. That's true. So what do you do about it? Move things out of the school program. <laughs> for example, the periodic table of the elements. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Uh, how about the Pythagorean theorem, the square of the sides of a right triangle or equal to the square of the hypotenuse? And the Treaty of Ghent can be saved for later. And I would just ask you, everybody in, in, in high school learns the Pythagorean theorem. Everybody does. How many, how many times have you used the Pythagorean theorem? How many times have you thought, you know what? I can't load my trunk properly. I know what? The Pythagorean theorem. Um, so not, there's nothing wrong with these things, but you and I have gotten by without knowing them. And, and when there are more important things, put the more important things in there first. And then um, teach the ACT test. And the reason I say this is, um, you know, you want your students to, um, to do well on these, this, you know, college ex entrance exam. You know what? It doesn't cover everything because it knows a lot of it's what's taught is silly. So pick the stuff that's off of there. And when you're doing the academic stuff, do that. 
and you'll, your students will do better than uh, the other students, and everything will work out fine. Now, um, I wanted to close with this thought. Um, uh, here's, here's, here's a philosophy we have. I want to see if you can um, agree with this philosophy, and that'll be the end. This is how, how we order things from most to least important in what we do. Love. We believe love. God is love. That is the most important thing to us that we, our program always, if it isn't bathed in love, if, if we do something that ends up being cruel or wicked or something, then we know it's wrong no matter what else we think. Secondly, obedience. Um, obviously, everyone in this room believes in obedience. And then work. I think we can find that work is well represented in the scriptures and gentleness. So um, when we look at how we want to organize our school program, how we want to do the ag agriculture piece, how we want to do anything, um, it has to pass these four tests. If it's obedient, but somehow it's not very nice, we won't do it. If it's loving, but somehow it's not very obedient, we won't do it. And that's not as easy to, to parse through that list sometimes as, as one might think, because, because things can get out of order. So um, my closing appeal to you is this. Please do something for the Lord. You, you, um, he has given us minds and hands. You only have a small number of years until you will be too old or until Jesus comes and you cannot do more for your Lord. Um, do it now. Thank you very much. Do you still have a sponsorship program where people can sponsor a child? Yes. So if anyone's interested in sponsoring uh, a child to get an education like was presented in India. Um, they had a, a really good program going, and, and when I was in Michigan, our church adopted a number of students, and um, it was a blessing. Well, our time is up, and it's lunchtime, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll pick up this afternoon. Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful reports we've heard, the inspiration, the encouragement. And thank you that uh, your wisdom is way above anything of man's wisdom. Thank you that we have the privilege of putting aside our preconceived ideas and, and just taking hold of what you've said and doing it because you know what is best. And we pray that um, as, uh, as we leave this conference and um, think about what has been presented, we, we ask, Lord, that you will help us when we're discouraged, that you'll help us when... Uh, difficulties arise and help us to remember that um, you can sol solve every problem if we will just trust you and, and, and cooperate with everything that you've said to do. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.